0: Since the siege and the assault upon Troy were finished, the city destroyed and burned down to embers and ashes, and the man who made the decoys that deceived them was tried for his treachery, though no man on earth was more true. It was the noble Aeneas and his high-born kin who came to conquer provinces and become the lords of almost all the wealth of the western isles. Noble Romulus went to Rome at once. Proudly he set up that city at the beginning, giving it his own name— which it bears to this day, Titius to Tuscany to begin building there, Longobard builds high houses in Lombardy, and far across the flood from France, Felix Brutus is happy to settle the many hills and the whole breadth of Britain, where war and woe and wonder have been known frequently, and by turns bliss and despair have changed places suddenly. And when this Britain was built by this noble knight, bold men were bred in it who loved fighting, and they made trouble in the course of time. More marvels have happened, often, in this land than in any other I know since that first age.
1: This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate, And
0: I'm your other host, Ben Blatberg.
1: And tonight we're talking about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight by an anonymous author from sometime around the 14th century, maybe, question mark. Uh, Our translation is by W.S. Merwin, published in 2002. And joining us tonight is Rachel Jones.
2: Hey, Rachel. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) Uh, So I imagine
1: we're all familiar with this to some degree or another, particularly with uh, the film coming out, but... I'm going to guess that those degrees vary. Yes. Uh, I have read it. I remember enjoying it a lot, but I don't actually remember a lot of the details beyond that many of them were fucking bonkers.
2: <laughs> uh, this book is a favorite of mine, um, and I usually like to read it every year as like around Christmas and the holidays to my canon. I love it.
0: <laughs> do, do you always read the same translation?
2: Yeah, um, my translation. I'm holding up to the camera right here because it has a much less scary cover than Ben's. Mm-hmm. It has this, this nice middle ages knight looking confused, which about sums up the book too. But so do the terrifying green eyes behind Ben that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, my translation is by James Winnie, and it's just the edition that was foisted on me in college, and therefore I have never gotten rid of. It's delightful.
1: This is also the edition that was foisted on me in college. So,
2: oh yes. I feel like that. Yeah, maybe your your first Gawain is the one that you're sort of stuck with. It's just you know, yeah, it's to stay with you.
1: Is yours? Uh, this one is a side by side translation. It actually has the original. Does yours?
2: Yeah, same sort of appearance as yours. It's got one on each side.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, we may dip into that a little bit. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah.
0: My my college memory of this is that uh, in English one, uh, Professor Nancy Leonard separated Chris Van Dyke and me because we were talking too much to each other (laughs) uh, that sounds right as as if we were in high school uh or below uh that's my strong memory of college uh english one uh also is this a good time then for me to apologize for how i sound because i'm sick and then people will say like oh i like this new kathleen turner (laughs) (laughs) co-host
1: yes you can a note for podcasters is that every time you apologize for how bad you sound when you're sick everyone will think that that's the best you ever sound
2: you just get that gravitas of the, you know, the, yeah, exactly. Just building up on your vocal folds, get that vibration, you know. So you should just talk low and sexy today, and really lean into that, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And just like only talk about uh, epics, and I know, you know. Well Who settled what land? And yeah,
2: it's a sexy book. I mean, it features a bisexual kissing game by the end of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that'll make it into the movie, but um,
1: but it might.
2: I hope, well, so, but spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read this book that's been in publication for hundreds of years. But part of the climax of the book involves this whole strange kissing game where Sir Gawain is the guest of this um, lord and lady. And by day, Sir Gawain hangs out in his bedroom and makes out with the lord's wife. And he's made an agreement with the lord that he will exchange whatever things he whatever gifts or whatever like he hunts during that day for what the Lord hunts out in the real world. And so what he does is then he makes out with the Lord. So however many kisses he gets from the wife, he then gives to the guy when he gets home and it's completely kosher and all great. And everyone is happy with this arrangement and it only goes wrong when Sir Gawain fails to give the scarf that the lady gives him. And, you know, but he gave back all the kisses is the important thing. Mm -hmm. So I've always been fascinated with that idea that, you know, as long as you know, the transitive property of flirting, like, you know, so I can I can flirt with Ben's wife as long as I do the same flirtations to Ben later on, because then it won't then Ben you know, you kind of have that sort of a deal. So
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> I like so. So this is this is uh, this occupies in English lit one the same place as the mummy it's as, <laughs> as 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 an awakening for people's bisexuality. Yes. I think guess-
2: very much so, you know. <laughs>
0: Well, one thing interesting about this is that, uh, this of course breaks, uh, all precedents in this podcast, uh, in our, (laughs) our, our two week old podcast, uh, by the time you're hearing this, um, where we read the first page of a book that we might or might know about. Whereas this is a book that all of us have some familiarity with, like Vin said, Mm. you know, Rachel reads it every year. I have like, I don't even remember if I've actually read any of this uh, <laughs> as opposed to just like absorbed, you know, things just like, oh, yeah, like oh, a yeah, like, uh, beheading game. Uh, like, you, you know, you you give me what you win in, in the the wilds, what I'll give you, what I win in your house. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no way
1: that you read this in a class with Chris Van Dyke and did not hear about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listeners, you'll probably hear from Chris Van Dyke in a few weeks. Um,
0: yeah. And I just. uh it's so, I mean, well, uh, yeah, I don't, I guess, well, okay, wait, let's cut all this hemming and hawing out. Yeah, probably not. Unless people like the hemming and <laughs> hawing with my, my voice, the the epic hemming and hawing. Uh, hmm. But I'm curious, so, Rachel, what what makes you read this every year? Like, it's not this first page that does it.
2: No, yeah, I would agree it's not the first page. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of throat clearing here and a lot of, like, um, it reminds me of, like, um, when you're watching a movie and it's like, you know, zooming out from the entire world into like, you know, the, the, the slow pan of the camera that starts at the, at the world level into the country we're going to go into. Yeah. But um, what I really love about it is it's really atmospheric, especially once you get into it. So, you know, it starts in this mid-December Christmas game and then there's this entire sequence. The one that I really, really love is the sequence between um the Christmas beheading contest and then when he goes on the actual journey to go to the Green Chapel um, and there's this beautiful, just this beautifully described journey he's on where taking you through these hardships and the atmosphere of the weather. And then you get to this place where, you know, you're going to sit in this nice warm house and be feasted and sort of prepare for your the fact that he might be beheaded as well. And there, there's something about the atmosphere of it that I just find really, really compelling. And um, it's so short, too. So, like, it doesn't take long to get through. But like it just has a lot of things about it where it's got that contrast between the cozy feast and then like going out into like the, the cold, bracing, horrible atmosphere that wants to kill you, and then you know, of course, you know a little beheading always puts me in the Christmas spirit. I just kind of feel like it's, mm. um, you know, you get that that red, you know, red red blood smat- spattering on the white snow. I mean. <laughs> just like kind of takes me back
1: the reciprocal makeouts
2: reciprocal makeouts um you know, they get the mistletoe i mean it's really like mistletoe taken to the extreme right here so you know bisexual mistletoe Mm. is definitely there for me so yeah it's got lots of things in it that were definitely for me
1: (laughs) is this and uh i read this in a class with a lot of other arthurian legends so a lot of them are sort of jumbled together is this the one where he sees the tree
2: that's half burning or is that a different one different one yeah okay that's cool. I don't cool one though
1: yeah that's that's kind of the origin of uh or like in the roots of what we think of as a christmas tree is this like vision of a tree that is half on fire and half perfect um which i guess is sort of also a burning bush yeah um this is probably a topic that someone could research but now i'm just talking out
0: of my ass about it <laughs> um i was gonna say like I, I, it would be Great to be like. Wait, which which is the Arthurian knight that uh, that uh, encounters the burning tree? Oh, that's that's the uh, Sir Moses. Like, yes, and like <laughs> just like combine all the all the myths into one. Uh, mm. Which 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 is a topic that will get us back to this first page in a minute. But yeah. according to the internet, uh, that might be part of the Mabinosian.
1: That, sound? Um, that it might be in there. Yeah.
0: Okay. That that is another book that I've like Have passing familiarity with. Yeah. Like, there's a lot. Uh, of, it's. It's funny, you know, people talk about like, what's that? Oh, wait, what do they call it? It's like, it's like, what's that one nerd thing that you, that people would expect you as a nerd to know where like, you don't know, you mm-hmm. know, it's always just like, it's like the person who loves comic books and someone's like, Hey, can you fix my computer? And you're like, no, that's not, that's not the type mm-hmm. of nerd I am. Like, <laughs> like there, there's certain mythologies where I'm just like, yes, I've, I've always been meaning to read more than like that one part of the Mabinosian that I enjoyed, but like never gotten around to. Yeah,
1: we dipped into that in the same class, so that is definitely probably the the culprit here.
2: I think I I remember um, taking a class on the Mab- Mabinogian, and yeah, it's an era of literature that's um, I found maybe a little a little less accessible, but so interesting because it just um, functioning on tropes that I don't entirely understand. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's like a a different language, both literally and in terms of. Uh, the things that they expect you to understand when they say them
2: <laughs> yes
1: such a such as starting every story with an elaborate history of how we got from troy to <laughs> england because yeah. that comes up a lot
0: yeah yeah it's like wait, uh how, how do i get to the the library it's like well okay so you know how troy burned uh, <laughs> yeah. so if you imagine like this guy getting to britain from troy like make a left from there You're like okay mm-hmm. but yes that That is that is this first page, which I guess we should get into. Yeah.
2: Um, I, I would love to say something about the Middle English text version of this, by the way. Um, and it's the fact that I was very disappointed that it's got the thorn symbol, mm-hmm. but there's no ed symbol. And I'll explain that for people who aren't phonetic geeks. But the thorn symbol looks like the giant P is kind of, maybe you see it and it stands for TH. Yep. But the hard TH sound, the TH sound and um, in older English texts, you also have the ebb, the symbol, and it looks kind of like the letter D with a line through its tail. And that's for soft T-H. So That's like the word the
1: versus. Mm. Although this one, yeah. this one does have the yog.
2: I saw that.
1: Uh, which I, <laughs> like in my studies of old English, I don't think ever came up. I don't think so. My brief studies in old English. Uh, so I had to be like, wait, what is this number three here? Is that another T-H three. sound? No, that's a Y. Okay.
2: You know, as one does. But I feel like that we should bring back Thorn. I feel like that we're way overdue for Mm -hmm. that to re-enter society, but we should also bring back Ed because it's, I think it's fun to say.
1: It is fun to say. Yeah.
0: Ed. I like, I like letters that are other letters just with like a line through it or, you know.
2: (laughs) What's your favorite letter? It's not really a letter. It's kind of a question, you know?
0: Mm. Well, it's kind of like, it is funny. Like if you think about how uh, in certain accents, T-H and D are transposable. Mm-hmm. or yes. entirely mm-hmm. replaced yeah uh, like i guess that makes sense why that symbol like and like those sounds are related so those symbols can be related mm-hmm. yeah. oh, wait what was okay so wait can anyone can anyone read a little bit a little of the old english or middle yeah. excuse
2: me you're calling it old english that's bad i know better yeah. than that well it's <laughs> like it's funny because it looks
1: more like old english than say chaucer um mm-hmm. uh, like there's definitely you can definitely sort of spot it on the continuity if you've studied just enough of both of them to get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh as I have. I mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious what form the the trouble <laughs> takes for Uh, uh not talking about it on this
1: podcast <laughs> is if I know anything. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I um I took a lot of um classes in Old English specifically back way back in the day because there really wasn't like um an old English literature major, but I kind of wanted there to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is now so far in the past. I don't think my pronunciation was there that great, but um, yeah, I know one thing I remember about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in particular was that it's, it's middle English, but it's actually an obscure, weird dialect of middle English of which this is the only sample. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't tell you how it's different from other middle English, quite honestly. Yeah. I, I,
1: if you read Chaucer, like, Chaucer, at least visually, looks a lot more like <laughs> regular English. Yeah. Like you won't see, I don't think you'll see the thorns and the Fs and the yogs.
0: No, no, yeah. When when April with the shower suit. Yeah. Oh, yes. Football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something pierced into the road. The the road route, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And
2: bother every <laughs> vein and speech liqueur. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> that one I could, yeah. Um, the other, I, I did make a list of um, old middle English words here that I wish we would bring back. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked um, it with great babons. Did anyone see that one? Yes. <laughs> that was delightful. Um, and I, I don't remember what, what babons meant. I'm looking at my translation here, trying to correlate it.
1: Yeah, that was one that I had trouble matching up, actually.
2: Oh. I think pride, it looks like. Mm-hmm. but Babons does sound like a good word for pride or like, you know, kind of like chutzpah, kind of has that sort of. The <laughs> other one I like was on Moni bonkers on many hills. I think mm-hmm. bonkers is a great word for hills and we should definitely bring that it's back.
0: Like a, almost on a right? Yeah, I think that's
1: I think that's in line with like banks.
2: Oh, OK. I felt like bonk, like you get bonked on a head and you get like a little a bonk, mm. you know, I was oh, thinking of like, but bank actually probably makes more sense. Oh, that folk etymology. We just get to make up what we think it where it came from.
1: I'm sure we'll be doing more of that today.
2: Oh, Yes.
1: Again, enough to get us in trouble.
2: Totally. Yeah. I'm sure right now some Middle English expert is listening to us and just cringing. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, we, we invite them on.
2: Oh, good. Challenge. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> also and like, it might be Chris, so. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> already did. Or I guess I, I'm curious about, so uh, the, the line uh, where war and woe and wonder, which mm-hmm. in the Middle English is... Where, where, and rack, and wonder?
1: Where, and the rack, and wonder.
0: So, uh, question about that woe, that rack. Could you, mm-hmm. could you say that again, Vin? How you said it?
1: Where, where, and rack, and wonder?
0: Okay, so it does have, like, a W-ish sound. It's not, like, a, a silent W, exactly, at the at the beginning of rack. Uh, I, I believe so, yes. I was curious about that, just because, because, so, uh, again, breaking the form of our podcast, mm-hmm. uh, before it's even fully born. But um, I listened to the BBC uh, show In Our Time. Mm-hmm. You know that? Uh, it's a podcast and radio show where for an hour they talk with like three or four experts on a subject. Yeah. And so I, I was just, I just wanted to hear someone read Middle English to me. And that was the only way I could find it. Yep. You know, like I was looking up, like, oh, like what audiobooks do they have this on? And I'm like, no, there's no Middle English audiobook of this probably. Although, I guess that is a market opportunity. Um, we, could, we could sell literally two copies, I guess. Uh, but it, it was curious to hear them talk about it. And one of the things that they mentioned, of course, is that the form of this is very alliterative, right? So that each yes. line will kind of just like pick a sound or consonant to go, run with. Yeah.
1: And that is, that is actually a thing from old English poetry is that the, the meter isn't based on rhyme. It's based on alliteration.
2: Yeah. And this one's unique in that it does both. Yeah, because you do have that the, the bobbin wheel. That's that little. If you visually look at the page, you've got a little teeny tiny like two syllable line, and then you have got like um four rhymed sentences that come after all the alliteration.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. That again is another one of those things where it's like, oh, this this does sit sort of in that continuity between yeah. like Beowulf and Chaucer. Yeah, mm.
2: <laughs> definitely. Yeah, you can see it's transitional, and it, it is a little more accessible. Like I think Beowulf's also a great read. But this one, I think, is actually a little more accessible than Beowulf in terms of how its two instances pay off. So, like, you know, Beowulf also has a structure where you've got, like, killing Grendel and killing a dragon. It's two halves of the story, and they're not directly related, but they're kind of related thematically. Yeah. And this one um, has a beheading contest and then the kissing game. Um, And then at the (laughs) very end, a character actually tells Gawain very directly what all of it means and how it's related. Yeah. It gives you a little more context, which is, I think, in more of a um, contemporary taste, what you see English literature evolving towards, that you kind of want more direct connotations or connections, excuse me, mm. between those themes.
0: Mo- moving towards or mo- moving away from like a uh, the the short story uh, collection of literature to like the more novelistic, mm. I yeah. guess, is one way we might think about it. I'm, I'm not sure that the way it is, but it's a way we could think about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: but maybe we should get into our first sentence to at least touch on our regular <laughs> form. Um, boy, a lot of this is one sentence, huh?
2: It's a long first sentence. I yeah. think it's
0: I think it's reasonable that that our episode about uh, Sir Gawain or Sir Gawain uh, has a sort of a, a shape changing quality to it. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I'm going to do is it the anyway. Episode where we 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 cut the head off of our form, and next episode mm. we put it back on. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Since the siege and the assault upon Troy were finished. The city destroyed and burned down to embers and ashes. And the man who made the decoys that deceived them was tried for his treachery, though no man on earth was more true. It was the noble Aeneas and his highborn kin who came to conquer the provinces and become the lords of almost all the wealth of the Western Isles. Um, as I mentioned before, like a lot of particularly Arthurian literature, we have to start with our bona fides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, how yeah. how is our country valid well here's our yeah. ancestry yeah, back to yeah. the guys we like in the stories
0: yeah like not only are we going to tell an epic but we're going to explicitly relate this to the epic mm-hmm. you know this is that like this this, this i think is a uh, uh, good evidence for uh, uh, michael shaman's argument that uh, all literature after uh, uh, the iliad uh, is fan fiction <laughs> uh we <or> just like <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is self-insert fan fiction, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Like,
2: oh yeah. It's Uh, like if you really think about it, we're kind of like Troy.
0: Yeah, you know. My my question here in this first sentence, uh, Mm -hmm. beyond all the form, is that one uh, (laughs) that one aside about uh, the man who made the decoys that deceived them was tried for his treachery, though no man on earth was more true. Mm -hmm. Like, like, why are we? Why are we defending uh, like Odysseus at this point? Like, what's the? Uh... Because
1: he's important in the stories.
2: Well, you know, if you want a big plot twist, my translation, my my preferred translation that was forced out on me in college, yep. takes the exact opposite stance. Oh, this first line says the man who plotted the treacherous scheme was tried for the wickedest trickery ever. Plot twist. Ah. Mm. So I really kind of want to know what the Gawain poet's opinion is. Like, what, what you know. What really was his take on Aeneas? Yeah, Aeneas?
1: yeah it's, it is interesting because uh, the line is, let's try it for his treachery, the truest on Earth. Which I suppose you could read as, he was the truest on Earth, or the treachery was the truest on Earth. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's
2: yeah. fascinating.
0: The antecedent is unclear. Which, like, I guess, since we know the book, <laughs> we could say like, oh, okay, here's the theme of like, treachery, deception, shape-changing. You know, uh,
2: do, do we need to take a poll right now and just see who's on team pro treachery and who's on team pro? I know, maybe we should define what these t- the positions are here. But <laughs> yeah, I like mean, this is a question to ask your friends. You know,
1: yeah. I assume that, like, based on history, we're generally on the side of the tricksters when we're talking about Troy. But I'm also not super up on my like actual Iliad and Odyssey, so
2: me neither. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like World War One. Like everyone was bad. Uh, mm. There's no, there's no good sides there. But like, I feel like as Americans, we are, uh, civilizationally uh, or culturally, uh, biased towards tricksters. Mm. Like, mm. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's this one story about Ben Franklin. He is, I think, coming to Philadelphia maybe for the first time and he's very poor and he has enough for like two loaves of bread. Uh, but that's all he has in money and he's hungry. So he's going to buy one loaf and he's like, you know what? I'm going to buy two loaves so that when I walk into town, everyone thinks, Hey, this guy can afford two loaves of bread. Yep. Um, and like, that's kind of like the bedrock for, for, for Ben Franklin. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think like America. That, yeah. That just like, you know, like fake it till you make it sort of thing. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. That's uh, baked in. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, like this is totally like, like, like Odysseus is like, okay, look, we can like disrupt the Trojan economy here. Like mm-hmm. this is very like <laughs> Silicon Valley, yeah, uh, thinking. <laughs> yeah,
2: so we're we're pro wooden horses, kind of what I'm hearing. you are in the yeah, yeah.
1: This is my guess,
2: which would make Vin's translation definitely the authoritative one here. Mm-hmm. And what, what trash I'm reading over here, but you know,
1: it has no glowing green
2: eyes on the cover.
1: Assuming that we're not talking about a different <laughs> event. And this is, we're just making the horse connection because that's, uh, the thing that we know about as modern
0: readers. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I guess the man who made the decoys, like what, what decoys?
1: Yeah. I assume they mean the big one, but there could be more
0: like, yeah. Yeah. But like, like Aeneas is Trojan. And so like, like all like, like the Aeneid traces Rome back to Troy. Like that's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like,
2: oh, uh, interesting. So maybe this is actually a pro Trojan sort of thing, mm. which would be anti wooden horn. Wait a minute. Yeah. Um,
0: or is it like a, is like a, what uh, is it? They, um, what is like eating the apple? The, like the happy fall.
2: Yeah, I see. So maybe you're saying even though this was bad, it's maybe like even my translation says wicked, you know, we do have that tradition in English of inverting the meaning of words. You got wicked and you have wicked.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like this could be that like everyone in this story was rad as hell. You know, we trace ourselves back to Aeneas, but, you know, the tricksters were true to their country, and that is also enviable, blah, blah, blah.
2: It was so bad, by which I mean good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, eagerly looking forward to the uh, Maria Devana Headley translation
2: Oh yeah, of
0: this, <laughs> uh, as she did with Beowulf. Uh, mm. But yeah, yeah, that's a long sentence that just basically says uh, this part of the world was uh, was conquered. Or founded. It's interesting, though, that it, like, I feel like in other places, they they do more hit on the, like, oh, yes, like, they sailed to this isle and it was empty, or, like, you know, they discovered, they found it, and this is, like, conquer and became the lords.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Yeah, this is, I think, like, later than a lot of the other uh, stuff that we associate with the sort of canon of Arthurian literature, so like it wouldn't surprise me if some of the attitudes had changed by the time this came together.
0: So like the the person writing this is like, I can't just pretend that the Welsh don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or just like, they're not as interested in glorification through connection. Like, and again, because you mentioned this is more of a coherent story than a lot of the earlier stuff. Like, and this is an author about whom we know literally nothing. Yeah. Um, like, it wouldn't surprise me if this, this is someone who's more interested in the telling of the story and of the telling of other stories than in making sure that the proper respects are paid in the right places. So, like, having a reverence more towards the story of Aeneas and Odysseus and Troy rather than needing to pick a side.
2: That's fascinating. It's, it's almost like um, set dressing,
1: they're more mm. nodding
2: to the form and less to the, the ideas behind the form. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. I see it a I lot. Just, and like, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I just spun that right off the dome. So it's probably bullshit. But <laughs> yeah,
2: it sounds. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, you're you're making my neurons fire thinking about that. And that also, for me, solves um maybe not a mystery, but maybe um, something that I found interesting about this first page, which is that there's a first person line right at the very tail end of it. Mm, that's true. That, you know, it, it felt more conversational. And so you, like, um, and more intimate than you do in the epics where you're trying uh, that the poets are more like a spokesperson for the god. Yeah. Sing to me, Muse.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, it has a position, but the position isn't that they need to be taking aside, And, like, that is kind of how the story goes. It's, like, like, very slippery in terms of what you're supposed to be thinking about what...
2: It just kind of feels in the age of heroes...
1: Yeah,
2: A cool story happens and just you get that set dressing of maybe setting your brain into the air. And I, and I also kind of wonder as now I'm thinking at the Middle Ages and about like how religious literature was also big during this period. If me, part of the point of this is to put you in the fictional frame of mind. Like, you know, we're going to be over here talking about wicked secular history
0: mm-hmm. rather
2: than about like, you know, Jesus and saints. Um, yeah. And to kind of set you in that sort of more like let's enjoy some tales of beheading and kissing various people. Mm-hmm. Also, Gawain's thighs. This poet talks a lot about Gawain's thighs. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a theory that the Gawain poet was very much a thigh man, um, in case anyone was wondering.
1: I feel like that's a thing that happens in Beowulf, too. Oh,
2: really?
0: I
1: feel like we hear a lot about Beowulf's thighs,
0: but that well, could just be... Also, Conan. Uh, mm, that's true. Uh, we, we, we do hear a lot about the, the mighty feud, uh, Conan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bring back
2: thighs, you know? like If the, if the Gawain movie doesn't have long layering shots of his thighs, I think it's going to have failed us. It's going to go set that up right now. The cast him to have good thighs.
1: And everybody seems to be very into um, the guy whose name I just... Dev, Dev Patel? Yes. Um, everyone seems very hot for him. So if they're even kind of aware of how their audience is feeling... Uh, I suspect that we might see that played up.
2: He's a beautiful man, and I'm sure his thighs are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to appreciate his thighs.
1: I will say it's kind of fun on this page of uh, largely unrelated history <laughs> that we get a quick lesson as to who things are named after. Like, oh, T.C. is to Tuscany and Romulus to Rome and Longobard to Lombardy. Oh, great. <laughs>
0: I, and uh, I do, I do want to point out just one little bit of uh, uh, Remus erasure. Mm. Uh, <gasps> uh, Romulus goes to Rome, just like no, no brother, no she-wolf. Like, yeah, this is a real, this is a real short version.
1: Remus never gets credit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite bits of uh, of old uh, city founding myth, where Romulus is building a wall and Remus laughs at it and jumps over it, so Romulus kills him. <laughs> It was just harsh. Like, it's just like, I, I just remember like, it's like, well, maybe this is a metaphor for something. Mm. You know, it's like, okay. But, uh, yeah. I want
1: to write a whole story about the hidden secret history of the lost city of Reem.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On a list of things to bring back here, bring back Remus and, and Reem. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess I was just, I was just joking, but I guess it does point to like what you guys were saying about like that, that age of heroes, Sort of adventure, non, non-Christian literature uh, aspect of this, yeah. Where it's just like, like when when the poet says, uh, uh, "Bold men were bred in it who loved fighting," like that doesn't seem to me like necessarily a uh, condemnation.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no,
0: uh, you know, which is not necessarily a Christian uh, virtue. Well, it's it's that sort of
1: like. And, again, I think less in this than in some of the material that goes into it, uh, the sort of transitionally Christian stuff where, like, even if you read, like, Beowulf, there's mentions, like, throughout the, Arth- the Arthurian legend, they're sort of peppered in, but in a lot of places, they're kind of perfunctory, like, we do have to talk about how Jesus is real, but mm-hmm. really, this mm-hmm. is a story about ripping the arms off people. <laughs>
2: And I know that um I'm sure I'm sure you two know from having been exposed to this poem before, but this one's famous for just incorporating a lot of pagan um imagery and motifs. Yeah. So the obviously the, the green knight himself, you got the green man association, and he's just the large green forest dude who shows up. But also, um, there's a little throwaway bit um about the pentagram. Um, and it's really funny because it's like, it's like badly Christianized where um, Sir Godwin's shield has a pentagram on it. And there's a little like bit on there being like, yeah, the pentagram symbolizes Mary. And here's the five <laughs> things that symbolizes about the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. So that it, a little bit of that does get into the poem later on. But I think that this, this opening definitely sets the stage very well for the fact that we're not talking about that shit for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. And if we do <laughs> decoding the pentagram. Yeah.
1: Also, I would like to, bring back the tradition of referring to large bodies of water as the flood.
2: Yes. <laughs> the great drink. <laughs> mm. So now you got me flipping through here looking for a pentagram, but it's fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so in the middle of that we get this little like sub-poem. And this is something that I actually do want to read comparatively because uh it's one where I like don't really like Merwin's translation or like I think it loses a lot. Um where what we have in modern English is where war and woe and wonder have been known frequently and by turns bliss and despair have changed places suddenly. And the middle English is where where and rack and wonder the scythes hats want therein and oft both bliss and blunder full skate had sifted sin which like... A has much stronger rhymes, uh, but also the phrase bliss and blunder is extremely good to me. Even if that's not exactly what it means.
2: I wonder why they change. I mean, I guess I'm sure they're trying to be accurate to the meaning of the word versus the sound of it. But I agree that that's kind of a an unfortunate.
1: <laughs> yeah. What is what is your say for that?
2: Mine says where war and grief and wonder have visited by turns. And often joy and turmoil have alternated sense.
1: Oof, that's actually worse.
2: It's a little clunky. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I understand there are sacrifices that must be made for accuracy, but boy, I would love to just like puzzle this one out with with a Middle English dictionary and be like, okay, how can I make this sound as good as it originally sounds?
0: Yeah. But it does raise that question that we sort of glanced at before about like uh, the context, I guess, that this was written in. Like, Mm -hmm. blunder to me is like, you You blunder into something, right? It's an accident, yeah. it's a mistake, or not a mistake, it's an accident, right yeah. Uh, whereas you know, uh all the words that they have for it, uh turmoil and despair are a lot less uh accidental yeah, and a lot less a lot a lot more like uh for me, emotionally freighted mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, yeah, this is definitely like one of those instances
1: of like the drift of meaning. um I assume again. Uh, I don't have the dictionary in front of me to actually figure out what they mean by blunder or what blunder means in this language. Like, if you look at, like, the word doom, doom initially meant, like, or in in the old English means judgment, like, in the sense of, like, Mm -hmm. a judgment from a judge
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, and is way more neutral. And you can see how that sort of, like, goes down through time and arrives at oh this is the terrible fate to which I will succumb because <laughs> that's something you get from judges a lot
2: all right but versus like a verdict which might be more neutral
1: yeah now. and I wonder if uh, it's a similar story with blunder where it used to mean something like despair and has sort of like migrated off to the side and means more of like a massive cock-up
0: yeah, yeah. I, I get like a, a, a word a day email Mm -hmm. And it's always funny because, you know, the word will uh, in the the email will include an etymology uh, and the etymology is always like, like, like today, like uh, the word was misery cord, Mm -hmm. you know, which has to do with uh, mercy uh, and has come to mean like a among other things, uh, a something to help you stand uh, like a little stool or something built into a folding seat. So like you, you hear about like mercy seat. Like that might be one, uh, mm-hmm. but then like it always derives from something that's like like so misery chord, the chord is from core for heart, mm-hmm. and that goes back to like uh, curd, uh which means heart, and from that you get like all sorts of things. It's always funny when it's just like it's like oh like uh oh what is the uh what is the original uh like you know you know whenever you, you get an etymology, it's always like oh and, th- and this comes back from from uh. I can't remember what language they they call it.
2: Proto-Indo-European or... Yes.
0: Yes. And and it's always like this word, which gives us like round and, you know, like all these other things that are like not at all related to round, like round and heart and uh, something else. Yep. You know, sharp, let's say. And you're like, okay, like, you know, it really does uh, drive home that uh, linguistic theory that like words don't actually mean anything. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's just there yes. the their, their difference from other words that makes meaning
2: just that those connotations that yeah you know, it's it is interesting how yeah just the whole game of telephone of language yep um and i, th- I think doom is such a great example then about how you can um yeah start with the word that means one thing and bring it down and old english I you know is full of those kind of like the, the whole what i think yep. we talked about this a little before about that being the opening word of beowulf and you know maybe loosely translate just to like, you know, listen or Hey, mm. check it out. But I love, I loved, um, me translation of it as bro, mm. just this attention getter.
1: <laughs> I'll say we have not talked about it before, but we will talk about it in a couple of months.
2: <gasps> oh, fancy
1: <laughs> in terms of publishing order. Um, yeah. another one that I, I really like along that line is dreary, which obviously we you know means dreary means like dark and rainy and unpleasant. Uh, dreor in Old English means blood. Dreary is bloody. Ah, like as you would so describe cool. a battlefield.
0: <laughs> all right. So like someone's someone's looking at like a, a bloody landscape and, and calls it dreary, and someone else is like, oh yes, the, the sky is gray. Yeah. And you're like, no, you're you're this you're missing all bloody. The, the blood. Yeah. But yes. But so I think uh I think <laughs> after uh, going through Middle English, I think we can say but through <laughs> the history of Middle English, uh, that this first page is very much, it feels like table setting <laughs> yeah, or mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is, it, it, it's a little pro forma mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, we have identified, I think, a few places where there are themes that come up, uh, around treachery. Uh, uh, maybe that's, <laughs> is that the only theme?
2: Yep. This is uh, tricks and heroism and
1: yeah and and it's like a sort of almost like non-judgmental moral neutrality mm. yeah like especially in the in the last um stanza paragraph the last bit after that short poem uh where we describe the men of britain and their violence and like taking a a a neutral tone on like all of the crazy violence and weird shit that is about to be portrayed or, like, that typically appears in this line of stories?
0: You mean, like, so there's, like, they make trouble, but there's marvels? Yeah. Like, that, like, yeah, that, that sort of neutral line between, like, oh, they're bold, and they love fighting. And it's, like, yeah, it's, like, bold, boldness is good, <laughs> uh, contextually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like, stubbornness.
1: Or, like, war and woe and wonder. Yeah. Like, those things are all meant to be bundled together in this text, I think, uh, which is a neat way to set it up. I think.
0: Hmm. So jumping forward to the beheading game, which is not covered here, <gasps> okay, so,
1: uh, as featured so, on Adventure Time.
0: So, so, so someone comes into your house and says, uh, "You can hit me, and in a year, I'll give you the same back." <laughs> uh, like, and so you you behead them. Like I just, I just love to imagine. Uh, go on or go in let's say g i I love to imagine g here just like like really smug uh Mm -hmm. so so someone pointed out that he's uh uh, arthur's nephew yes Mm -hmm. uh and and so whether you think like this is a case of nepotism or whether like maybe is he trying to prove himself or is he just like uh is is he just a smug british guy who you Mm. know uh, thinks he's always going to get the best of everything and just thinks like, yeah, sure, I'll behead this guy. Uh, I just like the idea that, the, and then, then the Green Knight goes over and picks up his head and puts it back on and, <laughs> and, and Gawain is just like, uh-oh. Gotcha!
2: Like, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: There's even oh. that, a little conversation they have, right, where King Arthur's sort of like, hey, Gawain, if you, if you hit him right, you'll be waiting a long time for he, before he hits you back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, that way, it's kind of a subversion of like, because like, I think the where you mentioned about proving himself is is very on the nose because like Gawain is in this this tradition of like knights performing noble and noteworthy deeds. And this is kind of a subversion of that because his like his attempt to strive for the most that he can do bites him very hard in the ass Hmm. Uh, and like particularly with with arthur egging him on it's like oh this maybe this tradition is not the thing that we want to be fully ennobling (laughs) after all maybe we should look at these dumb fucks and learn a lesson
0: this is like the uh uh an instance of like bad advice from an uncle Mm -hmm. Uh, okay okay Yeah. yeah cool
2: it it does strike me as it, it it takes the right kind of person and the right kind of situation to agree to a contest like this. Yep, because it is so dumbass, <laughs> <You're> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, you, you know, I I can't ever imagine myself saying yes to any contest with this format. Like, um, of you know, <laughs> you you have one chance to um do this thing right, or you're just really screwed because you know, I mean, the implication is that this guy's is going to whack his head off if he doesn't do it first. Yeah but it, there's kind of like that, that McKee's most sort of thing. And it is funny how just so instantly it's subverted. Like, um, I, I would, I, I really wonder if, um, for the original audience at that moment where he picks up the head is supposed to be hilarious or horrible. Mm. <laughs> Cause I think it's kind of both.
1: Yeah, very much. <laughs> mm. But also like, you know, the deal is I will give you the same blow that you give me Gawain fully has the option to just like boop him on the nose. Yep. But because of the tradition <laughs> that he's standing in, he has to go full tilt over the line. And it's not a good idea.
2: And Arthur eggs it on because part of the setup is Arthur's like, okay, it's Christmas. Yeah. I'm not going to eat my dinner until I see something wondrous. And he just sits there like a giant man baby waiting for something exciting to happen. Yep. <laughs> And you gotta wonder if he does this every single year, and like you know, if everyone in the court is just waiting for what new and horrible thing you're gonna see this year. Oh, it's it's <laughs> and the terrible Arthurian
1: Christmas party that you have to go to. Oh no! <laughs> oh god!
2: <laughs> Guinevere's over there, just like kind of like hiding her face, like oh, he's doing it again. <laughs> 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 he promised me this year wouldn't be the year.
0: <laughs> like, 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 like he does this. This is actually what he does for every meal. Yeah. Oh, god. He's like, hey, wait, 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 guys, before we dig into our oatmeal. For breakfast, just <laughs> everyone someone someone, tell me something interesting
2: yeah show me something cool i want to see, see some, some magic or something horrific or you know i can either like a good like netflix account yeah you
0: know <laughs> well, they, they just just be there like sc- scrolling through like eh, maybe maybe that but maybe let me see if there's something better mm.
1: like, uh, on that note i think we're pushing up on time uh final thoughts
2: uh, i still love this <laughs> And like for anyone who hasn't read this, it's a a short read. It's a truly fun read. And I think probably by this century, it's probably in the free domain. So you can probably find it (laughs) easily online. Um, And whatever um, comes of the movie, I'm very excited about the movie. And I'm hoping the movie does get some other people to go out and read this bonkers and delightful relic from the past because it's it's a treat. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. so weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I might try and sit down with it uh, sometime this week and just burn through it yes and we'll see how my brain likes
0: it uh i mean yeah if if i mean not 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 to be nostalgic but like what i'd really like is for uh someone to read this to me while uh chris van dyke and i uh, get chided for talking to each other mm-hmm. that's but that, that could also just be the sickness talking uh, <laughs> oh. of course this is yes i'm I'm still sick by the end of the episode Mm. i haven't been miraculously cured
2: well we can't have our christmas dinner
0: this is not gonna do if (laughs) if only some some night would come by and ask me what ails me yeah Yeah, this
2: podcast can't end until we see something miraculous it's actually the truth
0: you know (laughs) (laughs) you feeling better yet (laughs) (laughs) well i think on that note uh so rachel where can the people find you
2: uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rachel K. Jones and hear more of my musings about writing and video games and, um, also find my, some of my writing there. Um, I have some new short stories coming out this month, so that should be mm. ex- an exciting time to follow me. Um,
1: and this will be the rare episode that actually comes out around the time it's recorded. So
2: yeah, exactly. Time. So now's a good time. You can, um, One of the stories is going to be about the snack cakes of the apocalypse. And the other one is going to be a more literary piece about unicorns. Um, And I I think, yeah, you'll see. I'm not sure I can say where they're coming out until they come out, but, you know, Mm. I'm excited.
1: (laughs) Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Vin Labate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at Mr. Reciprocity. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera at thechimera.space or on Twitter at ChimeraPod or
0: on your podcast
1: app of choice.
0: And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at In Catastrophe. For show updates... Follow Dark Nights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com and we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting.